Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Good morning. It's good to be back with y'all. I've had two weeks off, so hopefully I'm ready to go again, right? (laughs) Well, this morning we're going to continue the book of Ephesians, and I've titled this sermon, and we've been choosing sort of funny titles the whole way to sort of highlight the weirdness of reading Ephesians with new eyes. So this is called the Church of the Open Secret. I know it sounds a little weird, but I promise we'll get to it. We've been working our way through Ephesians slowly. I think this is the 11th sermon in the series. And we've been taking time to look at Ephesians with a fresh perspective. And today, we're going to find that we're building so much on what uh, Paul has already uh, given us in the first couple of chapters. And so I want to I want to take a moment to talk a little bit about what we're building on today. So in chapter 1, we saw that God has blessed us in some amazing ways. Um, and we're going to specifically look at his, how his plan is talked about in Ephesians chapter 1. His plan is to unite everything to himself through Christ. And that plan has come to fruition through Jesus our King. And then in chapter 2, we saw two views of that plan. We saw... Uh, a cosmic view, as we talked about in the first 10 verses, and we talked about a covenantal view in the last uh, 11 through 22. And so through both of those sections, we saw that God's grace, his love, his mercy was extended to us when we least deserved it. And although we were undeserving of God's grace, um, we received it uh, through Christ. He reached out to us through the Jewish Messiah, which is sort of weird because most of us aren't Jewish, right, in this room. But the Jewish Messiah was the vehicle of God's goodness and his grace. And later in chapter 2, which is where we'll be picking up the thread of thought that Paul's bringing into chapter 3, Paul develops a specific example of Jews and Gentiles. We're not just talking about uniting everything through Christ. He's talking specifically about Jews and Gentiles. That's the example that he gives. And so Gentiles are now seen as part of God's plan for this new humanity. They're being built into the same body, the same building, the same family, the same tree. And so one of the things that we've seen also throughout this whole book is that we cannot boast in the things that we would normally boast about, uh, which is usually our societal status. So in that time, especially, if you were a wealthy, free, male Jew... Life was pretty good, according to, you know, the faith, you know, at least. If you were a poor, slave, female, Gentile, things were not as good for you. You didn't have as many rights. And especially when you think about the plan of God, uh, that wasn't the kind of thing that you would think would be a profitable thing to be. But what we found in chapter 2 was that no matter what our social status is or where uh, the hierarchies of the world would place us, In this new humanity, there's no assignment of worth based on those things, based on the normal societal way of looking at things. Our only identification is in Jesus, and on that, we are all equal. We all identify equally in Christ. So we're going to be picking up those threads as we move forward this morning. Um, As we've been doing in every sermon, I want to bring up briefly the four themes that we've been looking at. The first one is that Ephesians is a community-oriented book. Every single you in the whole book is plural. So we've been saying it y'all instead of you to encourage the understanding that this is about the whole community and it's not individualistic. And 
That is probably the biggest transition reading this book in a modern Western way, uh, trying to read it in the original context as community-oriented. The second theme is that there is a new creation and a new order of things in Jesus. Uh, and that comes through, we, we understand this through Apocalypse, which we're going to talk about a little bit today, which is Revelation, seeing the truth clearly. That's another theme in Ephesians. Uh, another theme that we're going to see is unity in Christ, and specifically between Jews and Gentiles. And then unity between heaven and earth, which we're going to not focus as much on. And then we're also talking about division and battle with the powers of the world. Uh, we're going to talk about that as well. I think we're going to hit basically all of these today, so... <laughs> Strap in. We're going to get going here. We can turn, if you have your Bibles, to Ephesians chapter 3. I don't have the luxury of slides for the next four weeks. So we're doing it old school. And um, we're going to read uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now, that's this week's portion and next week's portion. But it's really all one big thought. And so I, I'm, we're going to draw upon all this here. And again, I'm going to read all the yous as y'alls. So, but otherwise, I'll be reading from the ESV. So it's the... The Southern ESV is what I'll call it. <laughs> um, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of y'all Gentiles, assuming that y'all have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for y'all, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When y'all read this, y'all can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him, so, I ask y'all not to lose heart over what I am suffering for y'all, which is your glory. So, again, we're going to focus mostly on the first six verses, although a lot of these themes go through this whole section. A couple things I want to point out real quick about this uh, section of verses. In the Greek, Paul begins a train of thought in verse 1 that, according to the syntax and grammar, he doesn't really pick up until verse 14. So really, verses 2 through 13 in our Bibles is a digression. He, he mentions something in verse 1, then he's like, oh wait, I might want to explain that a little bit. So then he explains it, and then he goes back into his prayer in verse 14. So in some sense, the thought that we're going to pick up in verse 1, the sentence that he's trying to begin, we're not going to pick up for another two weeks. So anyway, <laughs> that's just the way it is. So why does Paul begin this section as he does in verse 1? We're going to spend a lot of time on verse 1 this week. So I want to reread verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of y'all Gentiles. And let's first talk about the, the first three words here, for this reason. 
so whenever words like this come up, like therefore, or here it's for this reason, we have to think about why is he saying this? What is going on here? And really, he's talking about the stuff that he's been talking about in the context. Well, what has he been talking about in the context? He's been talking about Jews and Gentiles being together part of this one new humanity. So, like Megan said last week, in the time when Paul was writing this original letter to this Ephesian church and the outlying churches, the Jews were understood throughout history as the chosen people of God. And now, through Christ, that story is starting to change. The offer of salvation through Jesus was a relatively new thing. And so Paul and other people are trying to work this out and try to make sense of all of this. So for thousands of years, again, God had been working through the Jewish people, and now all of a sudden, it seemed like God was starting to work with those who were outside of the Jewish faith. So now we think about this in the context of boasting for a second. Those who were typically able of boasting and being God's people, well now, that offer was being extended to everyone. So that was not a place for them to boast anymore. And they were now, the Jews are now being asked to accept these other people, these Gentiles, into this new humanity that God is building. As Paul says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for y'all are all one in Christ Jesus. That you is also plural in Galatians. Y'all are all one in Christ Jesus. So thinking about all this, what's going on in the context, Paul says in verse 1, he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of y'all Gentiles. He's a prisoner on behalf of y'all Gentiles. And he's referring to the Gentiles that were in this church in Ephesus in the first century. Now, this is the first mention that Paul makes in this letter. We, Many of us who are familiar with the book of Ephesians know that Paul wrote this letter from prison. But here's where Paul tells us that, that he's writing this letter from prison. So the natural question that we should ask ourselves is, well, why was Paul in prison? Like, this guy, he, he wasn't going around, like, stealing cars and stuff like that, right? So, so why was Paul in prison? And let's, let's actually turn to Acts chapter 21. You can keep, if you want to, your finger here in Ephesians. We will be back, but we will turn to Acts chapter 21. So I want to give you some background. We're going to jump around a little bit in Acts 21 as well. But uh, Paul wants to go to Jerusalem. Everyone tells him not to go. <laughs> Uh, like prophets and prophetesses tell him not to go. Everyone tells him not to go. He goes anyway. Um, he goes because he wants to tell everyone in Jerusalem about what God is doing in Christ for these Gentiles. He wants to uh, help them experience this uh, apocalypse. He wants to, them to experience the newness of what God is doing in Christ. And so um, what happens to Paul when he does that? Let's look at... Um, Verse 20. So he, he comes. Uh, they basically tell him, um, look, we've heard all the stuff that's going on. We want you to be as Jewish as you can possibly be for the next couple of weeks while you're here in Jerusalem. And he, we're going to read a little bit here. He does it. He tries to do it. Um, so he tells them all the things that God has done for the Gentiles. Verse 20. When they heard it, when they heard all the wonderful things that Paul said about the Gentiles, they glorified God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. 
So that's, I mean, it's, it's sort of true, but it's not entirely true exactly how Paul probably would have said it. But regardless, you know, Paul has this idea of this gospel that's including the Gentiles and he tells them about all the stuff that's going on. And the first thing they do is they say, yeah, but look at all these great Jews that are wonderful and doing wonderful things. So that's already sort of like a partial slap in the face to what Paul's doing. But Paul goes along with it. And he, he tries to, you know, the next couple of verses talk about how he's going to do these very Jewish things and, and sort of play by their rules. In verse 26, we'll pick it up and it says, Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So he's trying to abide by what they want him to do. Verse 27, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For, that's the end of the quote here, that's what they had said. Verse 29, for they had previously seen who? Trophimus, where's Trophimus from? He's from Ephesus. Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple, which was probably false. Paul probably didn't do that. Verse 30, then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And then it goes on and on, talks about Paul. So Paul begins his time in prison with a false accusation that he brought a Gentile into the temple. And this is in the context of him wanting to bring the good news of this new humanity. No division between Jews and Gentiles anymore. That's the gospel he's bringing to Jerusalem. And what they, they, they take him to is look at these great Jews and what they're doing. They don't want to talk about the Gentiles. So, one of the things that we've been talking about through Ephesians is that when we see unity, we see God's purpose. We see God's power. We see God's work being manifested in unity. When we see division, what's at work? It's the powers. The powers are the ones at work dividing humanity. So now let's think about this situation. We've got the powers, and, and for those of you who haven't been with us for all these weeks, we've been talking about the powers. The powers are, it can be angels and demons, it can be societal systems, economic systems, legal systems, it can be good laws and bad laws, it can be traffic laws, it can be uh, the way that the economy is rigged against the poor. There's all these things, and some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are mostly neutral. But when we're talking about division, we're talking about the evil powers, bad laws, bad rulers, evil spirits. Okay? So now, the powers are the ones going around trying to divide people. Paul goes to Jerusalem. He finds Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, are they being influenced by this talk about unity with the Gentiles? Or are they still being divided by the powers? They're still in the grip of the powers. He sees it. He identifies it. He sees that they're still thinking about the things that divide them from the Gentiles. The temple, the rituals. And again, these things aren't bad. The law's not bad. According to Paul, the law's not bad. But it is bad when it's used wrongly, and they're using it wrongly. So now, 
Paul has given his whole life, his whole ministry, into teaching this gospel that now these walls are broken down. Now Jew and Gentile are totally heirs together in Christ. We are part of this one new church, one new humanity. He's risked his life preaching this gospel. He's given everything in his power to break people free from the powers that would divide us. And where was the Gentile that Paul got, that got Paul into trouble? He's from Ephesus. And why was Paul imprisoned? He was imprisoned because someone thought he might have brought a Gentile into the temple, into a part of the temple where Gentiles weren't allowed. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, he just finished telling us that there's a wall in the temple and it's been divided, that there's no more this division in the temple. Jews kept outsiders out of their temple because of purity laws and because they wanted to keep people separate. And there was originally a good reason for that, but that reason had run out. So who did away with the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles? Was it Paul? It was Christ. Christ did it. And as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, did, did Jesus do that because he strapped on a sword, and he took on the Jews, and he took on the Romans, and he, he like physically broke down this wall? No, he died on the cross. Through death and resurrection, he unified what had been divided. So, again, the powers are about dividing people. Now, who more than Jesus faced the consequences of trying to unite people and break people free of the powers? The Apostle Paul. He faced the consequences more than anyone besides Jesus. Paul is preaching this gospel to the church in Jerusalem. Because of that, he gets imprisoned. Eventually, he will get killed for this message, this message of unity. He was imprisoned because he believed and he taught this radical truth about one new humanity in Christ. The truth that he literally just finished talking about in Ephesians chapter 2. That's why he can say, uh, I'm in prison because of you. Let's turn back to, <laughs> let's turn back to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. So when Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He, he means it. Verse 2, we're going to read the rest of the, verse, the, the section we're looking at today. Assuming that y'all have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for y'all, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When y'all read this, y'all can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So again, uh, this mystery, this idea that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, this is a unifying message. And this is the message that he finished Ephesians chapter 2 talking about. So when he says, I just want a couple quick notes here. When he says, as I've written briefly in verse 3, you know, in the ancient world, we can only assume that the people that would have received this letter would have received this letter. We can't assume that they would have received Romans or that they would have received other places where Paul's talking about this message. 
So when he says the things that he's written before, he's talking about Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. What we now call, they didn't call it Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. It was just one big old scroll that he sent, one big old letter he sent them. But what we would call chapters 1 and 2, and especially he's talking about a small section, which we're going to get to in chapter 1, and then the end of chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, which we've gone through in the past two weeks. Now, there are several key words here in this passage. There's the word stewardship, uh, the word mystery, and the word revelation. And all three of these we've already defined in prior sermons. But this is what we're going to spend the rest of the sermon talking about, is these three terms. We're going to talk about how they work here in this context. So I want to recap what we've seen. I'm going to go sort of term by term. We're going to start with the word revelation. Because that's the easiest one, the shortest one. Uh, the word revelation is the word apocalypse. About a month ago, uh, John Ely shared with us about the prayer for the apocalypse. It's in Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. He handled the first half of the prayer. I handled the second half. And as John shared with us, this revelation or this apocalypse is a life-changing moment when the veil is lifted and we see the truth clearly. And Paul, in his life, he experienced this for the first time on the road to Damascus, which is recorded three times for us in the book of Acts. And Paul's prayer, as we talked about in chapter 1, is for all of us to have a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Whether it's personally a revelation like Paul experienced, which unfortunately I haven't had one of those. Maybe you have, but I would say that's more on the rare side of things. But more commonly, it's through the example and teaching of others or in the pages of what we know now as the Bible. But his prayer is that we would experience a life-changing encounter with Jesus. So that's the word revelation. That's the mystery was made known to Paul by revelation, by this apocalypse. Now I want to talk about the word stewardship a little bit. We can turn to Ephesians chapter 1, just one, one or two pages over. In Ephesians chapter 1, the word uh, stewardship gets used in uh, verse 10. And it's the word plan here. Verse 10 says, As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So in Ephesians 1.10, this word for stewardship is the word plan. Now the Greek word is oikonomia. And in the King James Version, uh, many of us grew up with the King James. It's translated dispensation. Uh, the NASB, which is another literal Bible like the ESV, had administration in the 1995 edition and then changed it to plan, just like the ESV did in the 2020 edition. So when we look at this word and how it's used uh, in the lexicons or the dictionaries of, of the Greek language, uh, here are some of the definitions that you were given. A responsibility of management, the management of a household, direction, office, the state of being arranged or arrangement, order, plan, or a program of instruction or training in the way of salvation. And in uh, in the BDAG, one of the, uh, the lexicons, it says that in Ephesians 1.10, it's the second usage, this idea of a plan of salvation that's being talked about here. So now, I know uh, many of us come from a background where uh, we've seen this word as something that identifies periods of time throughout the Bible, but I don't think that that's the best way to understand this word, at least how it's used in Ephesians 1 or in Ephesians 3. In the context, we're talking about God's wisdom and his insight. We're talking about uh, the purpose for the ages. And so this is talking about a plan that God has and Paul's role in helping to administer that 
the, the telling of that plan. In, in Lynn Kohick's commentary on Ephesians, her notes on Ephesians 3.2 say it this way. She says, Paul describes his ministry with the noun oikonomia, which can refer to the plan that is administered, the position of administrator, or the tasks and responsibilities of the administrator. The latter two options should not be sharply distinguished, for an administrator administers plans and tasks. Then later she says, Paul is likely here describing his responsibility to preach the gospel as a special grace from God. And so if we think about that, um, just going back to verse 2 for a second here, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, what he's talking about is, according to the Greek language, is he's saying God's grace was given to me, this special gift was given to me, and now it's my responsibility to administer that grace, to administer that gift that God's given me. And that is through things like writing this letter to this church. That's the kind of things that he was doing to, uh, to uh, live this out. So that's a little bit on the word administration or stewardship or plan. Finally, I want to talk about the word mystery. We can turn back, if you turn with me to Ephesians 3 briefly, you can turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read the same uh, verse, verse 10, but we're going to read the verse before it as well. Because that's where the word mystery first appears in the book of Ephesians. So in verse 9, Ephesians 1, 9, it says, Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now the word mystery, as we talked about uh, many weeks ago, it's a little bit difficult for us to, uh, to relate to it because when I think about a mystery, I think of like an Agatha Christie novel or about, uh, you know, um, any, any, like a murder show or something, you know, like you're trying to solve this, this mystery, right? And so we think of a mystery as something murky where you've got clues and you've got to work through the clues and solve the mystery. But in the Bible, a mystery is a secret that's been revealed. And so Tim Mackey, when he translates the book of Ephesians, he takes this word mystery and he translates it open secret. So that's where we got the title for the sermon today, The Church of the Open Secret. Um, so in Ephesians 1, when we look at what this mystery is, the mystery is told to us very plainly in verse 10 that the plan for the fullness of time is that everything would be united in Christ. Things in heaven, things on earth. That is the big plan uh, that's going on here. So, um, so you've got this big plan of everything being united in Christ. Now, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 3. So the big plan is uniting everything in Christ. Then, verse, let's pick it up in verse 2 again. Assuming that y'all have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for y'all, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, when y'all read this, y'all can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So what I want to point out here is, he's given us the biggest definition of mystery that he can give us in chapter 1. He said, it's uniting everything to God through Christ. Well now, 
uniting Jews and Gentiles together, that's a subset of that. That's a subset of that. You have to unite Jews and Gentiles if you're going to unite everything, right? But there's also angelic authorities that have to be united under Christ. There's also earthly authorities that have to be submitted to Christ, right? There's all these different aspects of building up this idea of everything being unified in Christ. But this mystery, Jews and Gentiles, uh, that's a subset of it. It's part of his grand plan. That's uniting these two groups in humanity. So, in other words, this open secret in chapter 3 is a subset of the biggest open secret, which is that God's going to unite everything to him through Christ. So if I would love to spend even more time on mystery. There's so much, there's like a ton of rabbit trails to go down when we talk about the mystery, um, the different usages of the word, how it's used here and all that. So if you want more information about the mystery and various angles of looking at this text and other texts in different Pauline letters, uh, I do have an article. I will do some shameless self-promotion for my website, uh, studydrivenfaith.org. Uh, if you want to go there, I have an article. It's literally the last one I published, which was like two and a half years ago, um, that goes into painstaking detail about the mystery. But I'm also planning on recording a deep dive on the mystery this week. So look for that. Maybe, maybe it'll come out Friday. I don't know. We'll see. So I want to put all this together here at the end, and let's read the whole passage again and talk about what we've talked about again. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of y'all Gentiles, assuming that y'all have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for y'all, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When y'all read this, y'all can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So just reflecting upon this in total and thinking about this idea of the open secret or the mystery, were there hints that God's purpose was for Jews and Gentiles to live together in harmony? Yes. Isaiah 2 talks about the nations of the world flowing to Jerusalem to worship and how all the nations would set aside the tools for war. That's a kingdom prophecy. It's going to come to pass in the kingdom. Isaiah 57, 19 talks about Yahweh speaking peace to the far and to the near. We've heard that language before. That language came up in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 17. But the idea that Gentiles were to be fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Abraham in the Messiah, that's new. That information is newly revealed. So I, I think the way I think about it is like there's puzzle pieces that were scattered around the Bible where it talks about blessing the Gentiles here, how the Gentiles will come into the temple and worship together here, where all the tools of war will be set aside here, how all the nations of the world will be blessed through Abraham. All these things are like puzzle pieces, and, but they don't get you to what verse 6 talks about, which is fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Blessed through the promise? Sure. Partakers of the promise? No. So they would have seen, the Jews of this time would have seen God's plan unfolding. They would have seen the future kingdom prophecies as being something that the Gentiles would have been blessed through or blessed by 
that they wouldn't have seen us, Gentiles, as fully heirs through Christ. That's something that was new. So what does this mean for our lives? I don't have the fun four layers of interpretation slide to put up, but we've been talking about at the end of every sermon. When we read a book like Ephesians, this is a letter that was written almost 2,000 years ago. There's an original audience that we have to take into consideration here before we think about what this means for us. And so what we've been doing is we've been talking about what the text meant to them, how they would have applied it, what the text means to us, how we apply it. And we found a lot of similarities throughout all these things, but it's just an extra move to help us remember that this is someone else's mail from 2,000 years ago that we're reading. We can't just pick it up and read it and apply it immediately to our lives without thinking about their context. So we've looked at what the text meant to them. How would they have applied it? Well, in the original context of Ephesians, the original audience would have been meditating on what he had just said in Ephesians chapter 2, what we call Ephesians chapter 2. They would have been surprised to learn about God's plan for one new humanity, one new body, one new church, one new temple, one new family. And in recognizing this plan of God, the practical thing that they would have done is would have set aside their differences to be unified. You're rich, I'm poor, that's okay. We're all one in Christ. You're a slave, but I'm free. That's okay. You're a Jew, but I'm a Gentile. That's fine. You're a woman and I'm a man. That's okay. We're all level. We're all even in Christ. We're all equally called. So what does this text mean to us? Well, I think I'm still amazed to learn the good news of the gospel of Christ. You think about uh, the plan of salvation. Tim Mackey talked about this. Uh, in a sermon that he gave on this chapter, he says, I'm going to paraphrase him here, he says, Paul is interested in a question that we probably didn't spend any time thinking about this morning. How is it that you and I, most of us being non-Jewish people, in Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, how have we been included into the covenant family of God? How did that happen? (laughs) How did that happen? I bet you didn't brush your teeth this morning thinking about how The Jewish Messiah led you to being part of God's plan for humanity, did you? We take this for granted, don't we? But we shouldn't, because this is a revolutionary idea, even 2,000 years later. We are part of God's plan for a new humanity. So how do we apply this? I think we apply it the same way that they would have applied it. We don't let the powers, the evil powers especially, divide us. You're a Wildcats fan, but I'm a Cardinals fan. It's all right. You're going to be in the kingdom too, I think. You're a Republican, but I'm a Democrat or Libertarian or Anarchist or fill in the blank, right? Whatever our political views are, non-political, doesn't matter. You're black. I'm white. Whatever color you are, whatever nationality you are, ethnicity you are, does any of that matter in Christ? And yet these are the things that divide us as humanity, isn't it, today? Mm -hmm. The powers are still at work dividing humanity. And it's our responsibility as Christians to help people see that it's been done away with, all those differences. The differences are important. Unity doesn't mean sameness, like we talked about, we reflected at the end of Megan's teaching last week. It's not about papering over those differences and acting like they don't. We are different. That's okay. 
The point is that we're all equal in Christ. There's nothing to boast about above me being a Cardinals fan and you being a Wildcats fan. It's not something for me to boast about. Or Chiefs and Bengals, as we found out last year, right? So we don't let those things divide us. And we are assigned to people outside the faith that there are communities that are dedicated to unity without sameness. That's what the church, one of the big purposes that the church is for. So as we close today, I want to think about Paul again. Sitting in that prison in Rome, writing this letter, knowing that this gospel is so controversial that it's got him in prison and he knew it was likely to get him killed. And he did it anyway. Do we face the same problems preaching this gospel? No. So let's think about Paul. Let's think about Christ. Let's think about all the people that have gone before us and how they've given up so much so that we could be here, hearing this message. And let's share this message of radical unity with others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this amazing plan that you've had through the ages and how you've revealed it to us now, how you've shown us that we are one new humanity, that there is nothing for me to boast about because I'm different than someone else, that it's, we're all one in Christ. We're all equal. And that that doesn't mean sameness, God, that you've called us with our different abilities, with our different giftings to serve together in love. So, Father, we ask for your help in doing that. Help our community to be a community of unity that openly fights against the powers that work in the community of Louisville and the other communities that our guests live in, Father. We just ask that you help us, that you guide us, that you enable us with your amazing power and spirit to be the lights, to be the ones who show forth your plan of unity in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslou.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.